This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. DeVoe and I'm here with Jacob Green and we're going to be discussing a couple different things but the big thing is is how to get your emergency management program kind of funded you know and I know that's always a struggle for us in EM to to have a to get our budget increases at all or to, to keep a budget sometimes and Jacob's going to talk about some successes that he had and then um, a little bit of some projects that he worked on and and just an old overall conversation just about the, you know emergency management. So Jacob, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into emergency management and what your role is now. Sure, Todd. And uh, just just before I get into my stuff, I I just want to say thank you very much for what you're putting together and thanks for having me. I think it's so important that the emergency management community look at best practices and look at you know the different types of programs throughout the country so we can ultimately build bigger and more successful programs for our community. So thanks uh, for you know, putting together EM Weekly and this podcast. I'm very excited to be on it. Um, my path to emergency management, basically, I, I was always interested in crisis management and public safety. I was a police explorer through high school. And then through college, I was a police dispatcher, uh, working full time and paying my way through school and really liking you know being inside a law enforcement organization, feeling very comfortable in public safety. And as part of my undergraduate program at University of California, Irvine, I was in social sciences and I wanted to do something with public safety or disasters and uh, had been doing some Red Cross volunteer work for many years, uh, uh, responding to different events. And so I put together an undergraduate research thesis and I called 10 different cities in Orange County and asked to speak to the emergency managers and, and asked each of them if I could come in for 30 minutes and interview them. I interviewed many emergency managers throughout Orange County. I was totally hooked. I loved the business and what I was learning. And then I got to interview uh, then Fire Captain Randy Black of the Santa Ana Fire Department. And after the interview, he said, hey, would you like to intern in emergency management? I can't pay you, but I'd love to have you as an intern. I said, absolutely. So got to intern for him, an extraordinary guy, really great emergency management leader in Orange County. And then I uh, got a job opportunity with Fountain Valley Emergency Management under Gloria Morrison, who I know you know, and mm-hmm. uh, everybody in the emergency management world knows uh, Gloria Morrison, retired from Huntington Beach. And she uh, allowed me to work under her for the city of Fountain Valley and, and learn about her approach to emergency management and her philosophy for a few years, which was a great learning experience. And uh, helping her uh, develop her program in Huntington Beach, though she didn't really need a lot of help, but I, I just got to kind of watch and learn. And then um, in 2005, there was a job flyer posted for disaster analyst in the city of Ontario. And the flyer said, build a brand new EOC, build a new mobile command post, and start a new emergency management program. And they had me at that. I went in the interview, became the emergency manager for Ontario, and then as I worked my way up in the city, I spent three years in fire with emergency management. Then I was police administrative director for three years in the police department, went to economic development for a couple of years, and then became the deputy city manager and then assistant city manager in Ontario. And the emergency management program was moved back under me in the city manager's office. So I got to play around in emergency management for a few more years. 
And then uh, after 11 years in Ontario, I uh, recently left and became assistant city manager at the city of San Juan Capistrano, which is where I am right now. And emergency management is one of the functions uh, under me here in San Juan Capistrano. So um, also in the process, got my uh, MPA, uh, master's in public administration, which kind of gave me a, a little bit broader understanding of where emergency management fits and how I could best support the growth of emergency management in the public sector. That's awesome. Okay, so I'm going to take a little little, little detour here because uh, I want to talk about the MPA for a second, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, too, is obviously I want my students to be listening to this podcast as well. And um, for those of you out there that are teachers, this is, I think, one of those things that we can, can use as a tool to um, enhance our classroom uh, specifically, you know, podcasts and things like this, so we can. So I'm going to use uh, this as well. So just for everybody, just I, I like full disclosure, you know. So I, I too, am an MPA, and I'll tell you, I, I think the MPA degree is a really good, uh, rounded uh, degree. And I have, I have a lot of my students ask me about MPA versus other degrees, and uh, what do you think of of the MPA versus the other masters in, say, public safety. Yeah, you know, for me in my career path, I knew that I kind of wanted to grow in city government and in public administration. So for me, an MPA was a good fit. I will say that some really good advice that I got from some couple city manager mentors was that I should actually pursue an MBA program. And so I did. I, I looked into an MBA program and I found that, number one, it was about twice the cost. Right. And as, a, as a new father, that was a, that was a tricky uh, thing to, to try to swallow. And second, it was really tough. And those programs were, you know, uh, uh, pretty intensive. And I was interviewing a lot of different, you know, former students. And I decided that the MPA worked better for me because I was working full time while I was trying to get my master's degree. Right. And so it was a better fit. And I, I certainly don't regret it. It was, you know, really helped me understand local government and the big picture and public policy. But I think there is something to an MBA program. And the emergency manager master's degree programs are also outstanding if you're really going to be focused narrowly in homeland security and emergency management. Um, you know, that's, a, that's an excellent way to go. But for me, I knew I kind of wanted to broaden my involvement in local government. So it was between an MPA and an MBA. Yeah, that was kind of my, my look at it, too. You know, I, I know that being in public safety that a lot, of, a lot of guys went for those public safety degrees, but I thought that, that the uh, MPA was a more rounded uh, degree and it gave you a little bit more, um, I don't know, like a little more uh, uh, insight into what everybody else is doing as well. So that's kind of why I chose that. But thanks for that little, little, uh, little detour there on our conversation. Sure. <clears throat> okay. So this is what I'm excited about. Now I am a walk. I love, Emergency Management, obviously, we're sitting here on the Emergency Management uh, podcast. I know back in the 70s, you know, uh, we used to watch this TV show called The Million Dollar Man. <laughs> yeah, you know, if we, you know, we could rebuild it and build him better than he was before. Right. So tell me about your million dollar or maybe multi-million dollar EOC that you developed. Yeah, this was really an exciting project to be a part of. Like I said, when I was hired in 2005 in Ontario, the job flyer said, build a brand new emergency operations center. And at the time, the EOC was in sort of a second floor, kind of a small room, but it had a, a general EOC floor, a little communications kind of side room, little conference room, a couple restrooms, little break, break room. But it was very small. It was very antiquated, probably had been 
you know, in that ex- existing facility for 15 years or so. And uh, it was uh, very small for the size of city of Ontario, 1,200 employees, 50 square miles, large community. And the city council and the city manager had the foresight, uh, working with the fire chief at the time, to build an emergency operations center that could last for decades and really could keep up with the growth of the city of Ontario. And so I got to sit down and one of the first things that we formed in 2005 was an emergency management working committee. You, Todd, manage those and lots of your listeners manage working committees, which are just representatives throughout your city, all city departments and, and community. And we came together and we built that EOC together. So we had uh, the city provided the architectural firm, and we sat down, and every single discipline was involved in building the state-of-the-art emergency operations center that exists in Ontario today. And, and I can tell you a little bit about it if you'd like, Todd, because I think it's it's a it's a pretty neat model. Yeah, I really would like to to hear about that. I mean, <clears throat> I I got to work with um, Mike Rose and, and Dana Point um, after he built his EOC, and I thought that was a really uh, a great thing in Orange County using the songs money to do that. So I'd really like to hear about your process and what you put into it and, and why you did. But first, let's take a quick break. 315 and 314, there is at least one person that's been shot. Somebody is still shooting in sight. Are you ready for the unthinkable? Call our friends at High Speed Tac Med. They provide custom emergency planning and training that saves lives. With years of experience in law enforcement, search and rescue, responding to and managing large-scale incidents, HSTM will evaluate and prepare written plans, training sessions, drills, and debriefs, leaving you with the necessary tools and experience that can save lives. Call HSTM today to discuss your specific needs, and the staff of High Speed TACMED will help ensure that you're ready and are in complete compliance. Call High Speed TACMED today, 805-419-0024. Again, that's 805-419-0024. The friendly staff at HSTM is standing by. Emergencies happen. Whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related, or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. Welcome back from the break. So, Jacob, so let's talk about your EOC and tell me how you did it. Yep. So the first thing that we did is I took the entire group on a bunch of road trips, and we went all over looking at emergency operations centers in, uh, throughout Orange County, Los Angeles, San Diego, anywhere that we could go. Uh, we spent a, a good amount of time with the city of Los Angeles. As you remember, they were building their new emergency operations center at the time. And so we crawled underneath the building in L.A. looking at their stabilizers and, you know, looked at all the different elements that make an emergency operations center, brought all those back to the architect and spent years really designing a state-of-the-art facility. So we had things like we uh, we built an underground storage tank that could supply 100 uh, uh, disaster services workers for 30 days 
with fresh water. But the genius of the system that was built by the architects and by the city development services staff was there's this big red button in the EOC. If you hit the red button, it locked down that potable water tank that was actually in use every single day. So it was constantly moving fresh water out of the tank. But if there was a disaster or an emergency and we wanted to isolate the system from the rest of the city, we could do so with one push of the button. Wow. It was a pretty pretty amazing system. Then we put in bunk rooms because we, we knew that as disaster services workers, many of us have spent the night in our EOCs <laughs> and we wanted to have you know, an environment that was comfortable, right? So yeah. we built bunk rooms. And then we co-located the EOC with a brand new fire dispatch center because at 2 o'clock in the morning, Todd, the people who know the most about what's going on in the city are the dispatchers. Oh, yeah. And the, and the best EOCs are those that are in very close proximity to the dispatch professionals that have the latest and greatest information about what's going on with the city. So we wanted, we always had a very close relationship with our police and fire folks and our police and fire dispatchers. And we wanted to actually build a facility where they were co-located. They would be trained in setting everything up. They would be trained in working in the EOC. And we worked very, very, very closely and, and very well together. We had big 90 inch screens installed in the front, 40 inch screens throughout the facility five conference breakout rooms for all the different sections to break out. We had, you know, very huge storage room with all the food, water, cots, all the, those kinds of things. We had a joint information center built for best practices for media management and collaboration with our PIO partners. Um, you know, lots of different little things that we learned. We also learned the importance of not depending solely on technology. So we have dry erase boards that move throughout the entire facility. You can literally take them right off the wall and move them to any breakout room, any conference room, anywhere you want to go, uh, you can move information around the facility. Um, every room has the same AV feed or the option of different AV feeds of the different channels that are coming into the switcher. And we had an IT department under Elliot Ellsworth as the IT director. He put his entire staff together, put them through tons of disaster training and helped us build and really become a part, a key part, of the emergency operations center. The biggest activation that we had, for example, my first phone call, the IT director oh, who mobilized his team. And, and you know, it's just, uh, it was a really collaborative approach built on best practices throughout Southern California. That's great stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry about that. That's great stuff, man. I, I, you know, the water thing right there, you had me at the water. That, that is, <laughs> that is a, a unique feature. And, uh, you know, it, it was development services and the architects that really felt like this system could be designed and put into place. And, boy, it, it really gives us the peace of mind that we could operate and not have to worry about getting access to other water supplies that we had our own uh, fresh, clean, potable water supply. It's That's pretty cool. extraordinary. Yep. It is. Now, now, for those of you that are listening that aren't here in Southern California, water is like one of our <laughs> is one of our biggest issues. And I'm, I'm sure you guys understand that, too. But. Uh, for that, um, I want to kind of talk about Ontario just a little bit, uh, just to kind of give our, our global listeners, because this is a global podcast. Mm -hmm. Ontario, California, um, and, and Jacob, jump in any time here to, to kind of help me out here, because mm -hmm. you know I'm from New York originally, so for me, this is, this is a little bit from what my understanding. Mm -hmm. So Ontario, California was at one point just this little tiny desert, high desert town. Um, they got an airport. And they kind of just started growing rapidly. And now it's becoming pretty much a, a, a central uh, large city, right? 
Exactly. Yeah, it's about 35 miles east of downtown Los Angeles. It's in what's called the west end of San Bernardino County, just outside of Orange County, just outside of Los Angeles County, adjacent to Riverside County. Um, San Bernardino County is the largest uh, geographic county in the country, and Ontario is in sort of the densely populated west end, and it's sort of the economic engine of the Inland Empire. It has the Ontario International Airport right in the middle of the city. It's about 50 square miles, 175,000 plus residents, and it's a booming and growing uh, community right in the west end of San Bernardino County. I remember when I first moved out here and we went to the Ontario Mall and it was like this mall in the middle of nowhere. And then now you go there and it's like, holy smoke, this place is definitely growing. So It is. Um, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Uh, Ontario Mills Mall is uh, uh, has more visitors each year than Disneyland, believe it or not. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty extraordinary place. That was our claim to fame. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I can just imagine that. Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Well, yeah, that's that's amazing. So I, I agree with you about the EOC with the communications of all of it. And at Seal Beach, when I was there, our EOC was in the PD headquarters, obviously, and our, our dispatch center for the three cities, uh, which would be the, it's called West County, or Westcom is what it's called, which included uh, Los Alamitos, Seal Beach, and the city of Cyprus were there. And it's kind of funny because whenever we had like a little earthquake or anything like that, the first place we would go was the comm center to sit there <laughs> and kind of really hear what was going on. So you're, you're absolutely right about that being uh, critical to, um, to emergency management for sure. You know, we, you know, we as emergency managers, you know, as you know, Todd, you're, you're, you've got a lot more years in emergency management and more experience than I do. And as you know, not every program embraces their fire and police dispatchers, but without dispatch and without the IT team sort of being behind and supportive of the operation, when the stuff really does hit the fan, emergency management will be isolated. So I always tell new emergency managers, make really good friends with your dispatchers and your IT folks. Spend a lot of time on sit-alongs in that dispatch center. Yeah, put the headset on, learn that job, and they will start to learn emergency management. It'll be a great partnership. Oh, yeah. You know, one of the things that I always had um, in my plan for having, and when the EOC was activated, was having somebody from communications sitting in the EOC, a dispatcher would be there uh, uh, sitting in, in the operations section because they understand the broad scope of things. And earlier, talking to um, a guy from LA, uh, oh my gosh, I almost said LA Unified School District, from Cal State LA, and we're talking about the importance of the EOC at the level that you're looking at. And I like to say the EOC is at the 10,000 foot level and dispatchers get that. And they understand command and control from, from a distance where they're not at the scene and they understand that. So it's, you know, I really recommend having at least one dispatcher communicator inside your EOC uh, when you do activate. That's just my, my opinion. So I know. that's right. I, I gotta, I gotta give a little credit out there. Um, there was a, a uh, fire communications uh, manager named Daryl Polk, uh, who actually happens to be the IT director now in the city of Rancho Cucamonga. But for 20 plus years, he was in the city of Ontario. And he, as a uh, fire dispatch manager, was very uh, uh, innovative. And he was really the one who brought the philosophy forward to integrate communications and emergency management. And he always made sure that his dispatchers were a part of anything going on in emergency management in that program. And then he ultimately played a key role in designing the EOC, designing the city's new mobile command post, 
and really supporting and building the program. So Daryl Polk is a great resource for you and, and your listeners uh, currently as the IT director in Ranch Cucamonga. Oh, that's a great poll. Thanks, Jacob. Yeah, I mean, as you know, like even with Orange County, <clears throat> um, their EOC is staffed with a with a bunch of former dispatchers and or uh, you know people that are in that area, and their EOC is co located with their Control One, which is kind of like their county dispatch. So that's right. That's, yeah, so that is really important as far as budgeting goes, and I know that's like the biggest fight. You know, we're as an EM, we're we're one of those things. We're like insurance. You know, yes. people people pay for us. They never want to use us. And, you know, but it always seems to be when budget time gets gets tight, they like to cut us. Um, so yes. one of the biggest challenges in emergency management is the dreaded budget. So how do you how do you fight for that money that you need? And, and now my philosophy is and this is my my public philosophy. If I can not justify spending that nickel of the taxpayers money, I won't spend it. But if I could justify it, I'll spend a billion dollars if I have it, you know. But yep. so, so how do you get that money that you need? Yeah, that's that's a great point, Todd. And it's it's the challenge for all of us, certainly in emergency management. I, I tell you, for me, it comes down to a few things. First of all, as emergency managers, we have to think about the broadest use of emergency management. In other words, how do we convince our city managers and our city councils and our executives and our managers that emergency management can be applied beyond just the big earthquake. If you develop a program that's just centered around practicing and preparing for the big earthquake, you are, you are sending the message to your organization that you're only valuable once every 20 years. Right. And that is not the message that you want to convey. Instead, what you want to think about is, how can I raise my hand first to volunteer emergency management to apply to every type of challenge or event or issue going on in the city. Let me give you a couple examples of that. And, you know, let me just say that uh, in my current city of San Juan Capistrano and in the city of Ontario, I benefit from the exact same thing, which is a city manager that is 100% behind emergency management and a council who understands in both cities the importance of an emergency management program. So I don't have to fight that, but... I will tell you, going back to, to you know, adding value, it's, it's about you know, applying emergency management broadly. So, for example, our philosophy in Ontario and San Juan Capistrano is activate early, activate often, mm -hmm. and come up with any possible thing. So if your community is having a large event, if your community is having a small event, whatever it is, activate your EOC. Start training your people that, hey, this is a good way to utilize the emergency management structure, the chain of command structure, an org chart, get people organized and assignments organized. Use anything going on in your city, pre-planned or not, to activate. And then when you have the little stuff happen, you know, the, the windstorms, the tornadoes, the little hurricanes, the, the tsunami warnings, activate. Mm -hmm. don't, wait, don't wait and be afraid to pull that trigger, but actually activate and show everybody in your organization that emergency management can apply to lots of different hazards and events. And one of the best examples I saw of this, one of, one of the you know, best stories of applying emergency management out of the box was done by uh, former city manager Greg Devereaux with the city of Ontario. He's now the CEO of San Marino County. Greg Devereaux one day called me in uh, upstairs to his office area. He had organized about 60 people from all different disciplines, inside and outside, around the issue of homelessness. Oh, yeah. And, 
And he called me up and he said, hey, Jacob, sorry I didn't give you a lot of warning, but I have 60 people in the conference room. I want you to walk in there and I want you to use emergency management to organize this issue of homelessness. And we're going to do a large operation in Ontario where we use the emergency management structure to tackle the issue of homelessness. I couldn't believe it. So I walked in this conference room. I, I didn't, you know, I probably knew 20% of the people in there. And then we spent the next several hours organizing the issue of homelessness with the using SEMS and NIMS and the emergency management structure. And what we created was a five-day, 12-hour each day, five-day activation at a level three. Or now I guess it's called level one. Level but one, yeah, it's switched around. The, oh, yeah, the, uh, that was tough for me. But the, the, lar- <laughs> the, the largest... Uh, EOC activation level. And, you know, the city manager understood that these concepts could be applied to lots of different things. And so every car show, every major event, every uh, law enforcement takedown event, every everything that we could find in Ontario to activate, we did. And in San Juan Capistrano, we're applying the same thing. The city manager instructed us last Sunday to activate at a level two with the rainstorms coming in. That's and beautiful. You know, so we all got together, we activated, it was a great day, it brought everyone together, and it was about just you know, trying to come up with any way to actually mobilize this. If you only mobilize every 20 years, or you only talk about using this stuff in the big event every 20 years, you know, you're just not going to get the support for the funding that you need to support your program. So if they cut the program, they're not just cutting disaster management they're cutting all these very good resources to help lots of different facets of the city. Oh, that is so true. That is so true. I have the same philosophy and I used to do that a lot. Um, and I would get, I'd get some, some pushback sometimes from, uh, the command staff going, well, you know, why do we have to activate for this? And I said, because at a minimum, at a minimum, it's a great practice in a live event, yep. you know, exactly. So, but yeah, I, I want to circle back a little bit here on this homelessness issue because um, I'll, I'll just let you know, just kind of my own personal thing. I, I've been going through this like whole process after talking to some of my friends in the political side of things, and they really want to declare homelessness a state of an emergency. Mm-hmm. And I know there's been some pushback from some people, but I understand that the reason behind it. And I'm, I mean, there's some stuff here regarding money, right? We all know mm-hmm. that once we declare things, we can... It opens up money for us to be able to deal with the issue. So I kind of struggled with it a little bit, and I kind of came to this conclusion that that's actually a really good use of our resources because we do have the slow-moving disasters such as drought, right? Mm-hmm. So I know we open that. We declare that state of emergency so now farmers and whatnot can get money to help out with the drought resistance uh, or drought issues, you know, uh, with their crops. Mm-hmm. So if we do if we do apply the same thing to homelessness, I, I think that we could actually use those skills. And like you said here, and um, Greg Devereaux, I mean that's that's beautiful stuff right there. Because with Greg t- saying the same thing, being able to apply the emergency operations or, or or the emergency management principles to homelessness is is key. And again, for people that are outside of Southern California. Um, I mean, I know that like, New York City has their issues. Every, every city has their issues, but it's really becoming a, a huge problem here. And if you drive up the 57 over by uh, Angel Stadium, between you know by by the Honda Center, um, and even going south to Newport Beach, you, you can see it's no longer just a few homeless guys, you know, camping on the side of the road. It, there's like full 
communities of homeless people, homeless people there. And, yeah. and, and it's, you know, using those principles to, to apply to that issue. That's, well, that is key. You know, and, and he was brilliant. He, he's absolutely brilliant. And, what, and, you know, what he knew is that emergency management systems should be used when you're trying to get services to people, mm-hmm. when you're trying to organize a large number of people, right? And when you need to create priorities and put people into a command structure. And so the challenge of how do you get services to homeless in a community, how do you try to figure out how to address the, the challenges involved he understood, and he was the only person I know of doing this, that he understood that those emergency management philosophies could be perfectly applied. And it turned out to be, I mean, we did an instant action plan. We did a whole, we took over a 30,000 square foot warehouse, turned it into an EOC, did a five day operation out there, brought the media. Had, I mean, we had a whole operation um, to, to try to really organize this public policy issue in the community. And it was because of Mr. Devereaux and, and his understanding of the benefits of an emergency management approach. So now you're in San Juan Capistrano, yep. right? And you have a task of rebuilding a program. Yeah. And and I've got to do that a couple of times. I, I did it at Seal Beach, and I'm now doing it at the university where I'm working. Rebuilding a program from scratch, or <laughs> sounds like that's kind of an oxymoron, rebuilding from scratch. So yep. rebuilding a program, or you're starting one from scratch, right? Yep. Um, yep. Tell me about that process, how it's going, what it looks like, and what are some of the challenges that you're facing? So the city of San Juan Capistrano, I've been there now for about seven months, and I, I got really lucky uh, to get this opportunity as assistant city manager in, in the city, working for an extraordinary city manager uh, named Ben Siegel, who's uh, came from Laguna Beach and really a, a star in Orange County. And um, all of the executives are brand new. The city manager is brand new. I'm brand new. The entire executive team is brand new. We're all brand new together. And the emergency manager position was basically cut in January of 2015. So it's been vacant for quite some time. So uh, came in, there's no emergency manager. We've since been able to hire a 50% of part-time emergency manager of a great emergency manager uh, who retired from another city and brought her in. And uh, it, it's really about doing an assessment from top to bottom, figuring out if there's a disaster tomorrow what are the things I need to put in place before tomorrow? And what it all comes down to is in San Juan Capistrano, we don't have the financial resources that other cities have. And so in San Juan Capistrano, when you can't focus on the financial resources and you're not going to get to the budget to put the 50-inch screens on the wall and do all those kinds of things, it's about the people. So right. you know, my first week, it was about serving all of our staff and figuring out who has experience in an EOC? Who has training in an EOC? And then my very first day, trying to figure out an org chart, should something happen that night. So a, a, a complete, entire focus on the people in the organization. And, and what I've really learned is, at the end of the day, one of the best EOCs that I ever worked in was in uh-huh. the parking lot. Yes. So it's not actually about the facility. It's not actually about how much money you have. It's really about... Do the people understand how to operate, provide services to the community, organize themselves, create structure? And so in San Juan Capistrano, it's all about focusing on the people. You know, extra, uh, doing a, uh, we did a fairly large exercise activating uh, last week because of the really uh, forethought and support of the city manager. Um, and, you know, continuing to focus on 
discussion and dialogue and getting our people trained for any kind of crisis that will will face the city of San Juan Capistrano. Pretty crazy, you know, of rebuilding that program like that and and being able to take those uh, those challenges and and kind of make them into a positives, you know. It's a lot of fun, you know, the human capital. When you you know when you don't have the money and you get to focus on the human capital, it's very rewarding. I we have an incredible team. The level two activation last week uh, went really, really, really well. And that's another way to show, show the community and the council that, uh, you know, we're preparing for a disaster and that these emergency management principles and approaches and programs are very valuable and will pay dividends throughout the life of the organization. All right, Jacob, I have one more question for you, or two, actually. I have two more questions for you. So task and purpose is one of the things that we, you know, we talk about in in the military and, and obviously what our task is, what our purpose is. So what do you think your task and purpose are um, at SJC, at San Juan Capistrano? I love that question, Todd. Um, it's For me, it's all about I want to be there so I can make a positive impact. I want to work with really great people, which the city manager has assembled a really neat, diverse executive team, and I want to work together and make a positive impact on the community. I'm very bullish on San Juan Capistrano. I think it's an outstanding community with great potential. We have some amazing development uh, projects going on. We have great people. We have a very supportive community of what the city manager and the staff of that organization are building. It's a very exciting time Hmm. to be working in the city of San Juan Capistrano. And my task is just to focus on impact and focus on working with others to make that happen. That's awesome. So impact and focus on others. That's awesome. Cool stuff. All right. So last question. This is the toughest one, I think. Okay. (laughs) All right. So if you had one book to, you know, give to an emergency manager, a new guy just starting his day off, you know, for day one as an emergency manager, what would it be? Oh, wow. Okay. To an emergency manager. Um, oh boy, there's several that come to mind. Usually I, on on the book question, if you don't mind, if I can answer it, I'm going to tweak the question a little bit. Sure. Great book overall. That is a required reading, uh, through California's post and the supervisory, supervisory leadership Academy put out LA County Sheriff's department for lots of law enforcement folks. It's my favorite book. It's called man's search for meaning by Victor Frankel. It speaks to your last question there, Todd, about purpose in a community and really ties into to purpose. Pick, you know, everybody in local government or everybody out there should pick up Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Viktor Frankl. Great book. Number two, I would say putting politics aside and all that kind of good stuff aside, there's a really interesting emergency management sort of philosophy discussed in really Rudy Giuliani's book called Leadership. The first chapter describes September 11th Hmm. and takes you through his, from his eyes, what he was doing from the the morning when he woke up all the way through the 48, 72 hours that followed. And I think it's a very well-written chapter and a really good perspective for emergency managers, um, you know, to look at and uh, to to study. Um, It provides a, a really great approach. And the third and final book I'd say is if you're a new emergency manager, pick up the book called The First 90 Days. The First 90 Days is a great book that will take you through how to approach your workplace, how to approach new staff, how to approach your purpose, how to approach your work plan, and sort of what to do the first three months in a new position. So I think if, you, if you're a new emergency manager and you pick up those three books and you read them all right before you start, 
I think you're set up for some great success <laughs> in, uh, in emergency management and in local government. That's great. Thank you so much. All right, Jacob, thank you so much for your time. Um, and if there's anything else you want to add to the, to the, to the discussion. Hey, Todd, I just, again, I just really appreciate what you're doing. I really appreciate the, uh, the fact that your audience is engaged in, in emergency management. What you're doing with EM Weekly is very, very important for our business. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, the best and fastest and easiest way to get a hold of me is, is my website, jacobgreen.com. And my email is jacob at jacobgreen.com. That's easiest and quickest way to, to get to me. It's a very simple and easy way. And I'd love to help any emergency managers or any local government folks or anybody out there. I'm happy to take any phone calls, emails, and uh, steer you towards the right resources and the right folks that can help you be successful. All right, Jake, I'm going to give you a couple seconds here. or Take as much time as you want. I want you to plug your speaking career because I saw you on TED Talks and you looked really good, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Todd. I, I, uh, I really just enjoy, you know, working and learning with other people. So um, I, I've sort of been uh, developing uh, jacobgreen.com, sort of my side leadership training and consulting business. Um, it's something that I love to do is share some of these stories and adventures and failures and challenges and issues with others, mostly about some of my own personal experiences. Um, I had to drop out of college and uh, interrupted a robbery and got injured and had all kinds of adventures and it's really about the lessons learned that apply to others in emergency management, in local government, in the private sector, and I'm trying to make uh, some meaning and purpose out of some of those adventures that I've had in my life. So happy to share that with anybody in your audience interested. It's it's all there at uh, jacobgreen.com, and, and uh, I, I just really enjoy working with lots of different people and organizations, and hopefully others can learn from the mistakes that I've made and some of the things that have worked for me in my life. Outstanding. I just wanted to thank everyone out there who has taken time to listen to our brand new podcast. It's been an exciting process that we've gone through here at EM Weekly to bring you some some guests and, and some topics that we find interesting and hopefully you do too. I really appreciate you taking your time out and giving us a listen. Please share this podcast and the guests with all your friends and your network. And again, I really do appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to uh, EM Weekly and you could go to other places for other sources and you're spending time with us. Again, thank you so much.